is a podcast highlighting innovators and leaders across the state of Iowa. It's hosted by the Technology Association of Iowa, an organization that serves as the uniting force for Iowa's technology community. Visit technologyiowa.org to learn more about how to get involved. My name is Beth Trejo, and I'll be your host for today's show. Today, I have Dr. Susan Wood with us. She is the president and CEO of Vita, a company out of Coralville, Iowa. And we're excited to have a conversation with Susan today. And Susan, um, why don't you give the audience a little bit of background about yourself and tell us more about Vita? Oh, terrific. Well, thank you. I'm Susan Wood. I'm the uh, president and CEO of Vita. And uh, Vita is a clinical AI company. Um, We use AI as a technology to manage patients and populations with or at risk of pulmonary disease. That's awesome. And I had a chance to look at your website a little bit. I think it's just fascinating. How did this idea come about and how old is your company? Well, the company is actually probably 2005. It was founded and it was founded by four professors from the University of Iowa. And they founded the company to create a multidisciplinary approach to managing the pulmonary patient using imaging technology. So imaging technology, medical imaging technology, like scans of uh, using uh, computed tomography, for example. The four founders represented different disciplines, as I, as I suggested, uh, technology from both electrical engineering and biomedical engineering and radiology. And one founder, now deceased, was a interventional uh, pulmonologist, Professor uh, Jeffrey McLennan, and uh, he passed away about uh, 10 years ago. That was the genesis of the company. Kind of the way that that I, that I came into the company was Professor Eric Hoffman, who was one of the founders as well, was on the East Coast, and he was actually one of my mentors in graduate school. So that's kind of how uh, this all came together. I left graduate school and went right into uh, industry. So I kind of learned my MBA on the street, if you will, and they founded the company and brought me back in to run it. That's awesome. And so what are the core problems that you guys are solving I'm sure as the business has evolved, so are the problems and the technology has to shift too. But where was that like hole in the market that you guys came in and said, we think that technology can help provide better solutions or solve this problem? Yeah, so I think one of the interesting focuses of the company is on managing the patients with pulmonary disease. So kind of a couple of perhaps little known facts, but you know, the the global prevalence of, of pulmonary disease is about 900 million. And that's a big number. That's like one in eight people on earth have some level of a pulmonary disease. But the ways that um, pulmonary diseases are diagnosed and treated have not evolved much in you know centuries. So the, the gap in the market is to be able to have better solutions for patients and managing patients with pulmonary disease to give them better outcomes, to decrease the cost of care to these patients and to improve the quality of, of care in the, in the patient experience. So if you can compare it to something like patients with cardiac disease, for example, the incidence of cardiac disease has not, is still the highest incidence. So more people get uh, get cardiac disease than any other uh, disease out there uh, potentially, and, but the mortality has decreased, okay? And that decrease is because among other things, 
we've improved the way we manage those patients. So the pulmonary patient, their outcomes or their mortality is actually increasing. So what might be happening is this kind of the same patient, there's an overlap in those patients with cardiac disease, cancer, and pulmonary disease. The only one with rising mortality is the pulmonary patient. So they might be, we might be fighting one disease state and having this sort of epidemiologic shift. So the patient's living longer, but they're getting their pulmonary disease later in life. So, and it's very, very costly to the healthcare system. It's a software, is that correct? That runs? Yes, it's all software and it runs, it basically mines, we have a large database of patients that we've been tracking over time with or at risk of pulmonary disease. And we're able to, to use those data as a comparison. So when a new patient comes in, we're able to compare their symptoms or, or their imaging profile, if you will, to, to many patients that we have analyzed before. And when you see those similarities, you can kind of have predict how they may respond to a certain class of therapies, for example. That's awesome. And then is your customer, I guess, the actual patient itself, or is it the physicians that are kind of using the tool within their imaging softwares? That's a great question. Okay, so I think that the answer is yes and yes, but the difference in the two is kind of separated by time. Right now, we're marketing to and selling to the clinicians, whether it's the radiologist reading the images or the referring clinicians that are taking that imaging information and making a clinical decision from it. But, you know, there's there's certainly a trend that's um, continually increased. With this in new information available to the consumer, they're managing or they're being a much more active participant in their own health care. So eventually this information we would like to get out to the, the patient themselves so they can be better informed of their um, clinical path to have that information available to them. So right now we're going directly to the clinicians, but over time, the information economy is going to make this information available to the, um, the patient themselves. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting trend. You know, as you know, as consumers, we just want to educate ourselves and make sure we're not leaving any rock unturned when it comes to our health and our family's health. And I think that probably helps to be a catalyst for technology and developing solutions for both the clinicians and making sure that the customers have that information as well. Is your background in medicine or is it in like the technology side of things? Well, my background is in technology. So my training is I'm a, I'm a biomedical engineer by training. So I've always wanted to kind of marry or combine medicine with innovation and computation. And, you know, so I've always been on the technology side, but I created an undergraduate. I went to the University of Maryland. They didn't have a BME program. I created my own at that time because that's what I wanted to do. And I just followed that throughout my career. The other kind of, you know, vulnerable thing I'll say is that, you know, in the study of medicine, I've, I've always kind of cringed at the sight of blood. And I thought, you know, that is probably not a good path for me to take to be a doctor if that was a problem. So I've, I've, I've managed to kind of like find my passion through the technology side of it and, and, and not, <laughs> not to worry about, uh, about the bleed out. So that's um, even now, you know, in my, I, just whenever I get a blood test, I they, they have to kind of, you know, strap me down. 
Yeah, I bet that has been interesting to be on, like, so involved in the medical and the um, clinical side of things. And then also, in some regards, probably removed from the actual patient daily experience. Well, I just get such a thrill out of seeing our patients and seeing what we can do to help patients' lives, you know. So it, it is it, certainly computationally, it's a little kind of cleaner version of it. But I've sat in many an OR and I've, I've muscled through it. But it's, I don't know, it's just one of those things about me that I've never been able to get through. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that you are not originally from Iowa. What drew you to Iowa? Just the company and the job itself? Yeah, so I've, um, I'm from Maryland, very proud to be um, from the East Coast. And, and I trained at, um, at uh, did my PhD work at Johns Hopkins. And that's where I met uh, one of the founders. He was on the East Coast as well. So Professor Hoffman moved to the university uh, to create this world-renowned lung institute at the University of Iowa. And there's, as he said at the time, there's not you know, too many people that know the technology as well as obviously he does and, and he trained me, so I do. And, and therefore, as a founding founder and CEO relationship, it worked out. He, they can't complain that I don't know the science. They trained me. So, <laughs> so it's, uh, it's definitely worked out that way. You know, one of the interesting things, and, and I think that one of the big opportunities in Iowa, in the state, you know, in this kind of technology is you do have, you know, world-class hospitals, you have world-class um, engineering training from the Regent institutions. And, and just to be able to get, you know, kind of pull that together for the economic benefit of the state, I just, I think that we're, we're seeing some of that now, but I think the opportunity is much, much bigger. Yeah. And I'm assuming that you guys work across the country when it comes to with different clinicians and um, probably pulmonologists. Is that correct? Yeah. Pulmonologists, interventional pulmonologists, thoracic surgeons, radiologists. Actually, again, with the the information age, you know, information technology, we're able, our sites are worldwide. Vita influences, you know, patient health in 35 different countries around the world. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Kind of think of it this way. I, I don't have to send a person in to go upgrade software. And I do all that remotely. I've, and information comes in from sites around the world into a, a technology hub in Coralville, Iowa, where we process a massive amount of cases per year in, uh, in our facility in Coralville. So, you know, it, this is the kind of things that information technology offers us is you don't have to be in a number of different places. It all kind of comes to you. And we're, we're able to do that. So really, really proud of the way that we've been able to build up the, our technology hub within Coralville, but certainly to be able to use that to be able to influence, positively influence the um, outcomes and our ability to uh, you know, manage, manage patients around the world. Yeah, I think that's so amazing, especially because, like you mentioned before, I mean, you're literally impacting people's lives, like the information that you're able to extract and connect in all of the technology makes a huge difference, I'm sure for many, many people. <laughs> well, so to answer your first question, I think that what we're doing is there's so much information that is available to physicians now, and they don't have the time 
or the, the tools to be able to distill that down to a point to make a decision. And so we help them do that. We're not making decisions for them. I mean, I just want to make the information is out there. We're just taking it. We're distilling it down to, you know, a level of consumability that they can make a better and more informed decision for that patient. And I think that's what, again, what our, what our technology is more able, able to do. It's physicians in an increasingly busy practice. There's a lot of information out there on physicians' burnout and overload and, and information overload. We want to put that physician in front of the patient and they, and they, and they can be fresh and they can use their training to be able to to better manage that patient and we're going to give them better information so that they can have better informed decisions and better communications with that patient. I love it. And it sounds like you've had some really great mentors and learning opportunities and, and it seems like you also provide a lot of education within your role. What's some of the best advice you've ever received and maybe how can you help others that are just starting their career in the technology space? You know, as far as advice, you know, I've been given uh, quite a bit of advice. I'm, you know, I think as an entrepreneur, it's sort of in your blood, right? You have, you. this is not the easiest career path you can ever take in your life, right? There's something inside of you that wants to make change, that wants to make a difference. And when there's obstacles in front of you, you say, you know, get out of my way kind of thing. You find a way. So I think the best advice that's been given to me is if you're going to do something different, right? If you're going to change the world, if you will, you have to be able to screw up. You have to mess up, right? You have to absolutely make your errors. And you're not judged by the errors that you make. You're judged by how you correct them and how quickly you correct them and make sure you don't make that same one again. Because as you go and and sort of keep moving the ball down, you know, the road, you're going to make another mistake. Let's hope it's not the one you made, you made, you know, month. You know, you've learned from that. So you kind of, you go, you're moving mountains, you correct, you you make your mistakes, you correct your mistakes, and then you keep moving along. So I, I think you have to be able to, in, in an entrepreneurial environment, you have to let your people make mistakes too. I mean, if they're walking on eggshells because they can't, they, they don't want to do anything wrong, well, that's not an, an that's not an innovative environment. You know, it's not going to work. You know, that's a different kind of structure. You have to create an environment where they can make their mistakes. They can be vulnerable, and you can kind of educate them and coach them through that, so that you know you're empowering them and you're giving them the wings they can uh, make change. I love that. Speaking of creating that innovation culture. Do you have any tips or tactics that you guys have deployed um, in order to help foster that intelligent failure and creativity and, you know, obviously not reckless mistakes, but those that really help propel people forward? Yeah. So I think that that's a really good uh, way to describe it. It can't be reckless. You know, it has to be, it has to be kind of an operating point. You have to give everyone their wings, but not, you know, crash everything down. I'm a very firm believer of a servant leadership style. Okay. And, and I, I actually, I actually talk about this to my team and I kind of coach them. But when I think of servant leadership, I I think of four E's, right? You empower people, you enable people to do, you know, kind of break down their own walls. You educate. I think a really strong 
piece of what I do is educate them, not, not just on the, you know, kind of the clinical pathways we're changing, but educating them on to be a great person and a great leader or a great worker within the, within the organization and to excite. So there's the four E's, you know, you enable, you empower, you educate, and you excite. I like to make sure that everybody gets a charge out of what we're doing. I know I get a charge out of what we're doing, right? Because in those times that at bad times, you know, that you everyone, everyone has, every startup CEO has, you have to love what you're doing to get over it. Right. <laughs> so and again, it's no, there's, there's better, easier career paths, but I get a real charge about what we're doing. I get a real charge out of the people on this team that are doing it, you know, and I like to get them excited about what they're doing. And I like to see the excitement on their face. Well, I think those are some solid points, and I'm sure that our audience will find a lot of value in just those four tips alone. I know I do, and I think those are some good takeaways to take back to, whether it's your management or even just your colleagues. I think there's a lot to be said, even if you're not leading a team, to kind of use those four points to help build consensus and collaboration. I love it. So thank you so much, Susan, for joining us today. Um, Would you mind sharing where people can find more about Vita and uh, your company? Certainly, our website is vitalung.ai. Uh, you can go there. Uh, I have a, a Twitter feed, at uh, CEO Vita. I talk about a lot of things in there, but one of the, my passions is making sure that young women in STEM get the mentorship they need to get to their next level, because I think that's a really important thing for not only STEM-trained people in general, but certainly young STEM-trained women, their next level of leaders, that they have someone that they can go to, look up to, help help mentor them through their career path. Well, I love it. And ladies, listen up. Uh, she's the one to connect with. So thank you so much, Susan. Um, I appreciate all you do on behalf of the state. And it was great having a conversation with you today. And um, we wish you the best. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. The TAI Technically Iowa podcast is sponsored by the Iowa Economic Development Authority, or IEDA. Our state has the second lowest cost of doing business in the country. Let IEDA help you get started at iowaeda.com.